Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Mike Rucker, and I'm about to have a productive conversation with Mike Vardy. Welcome to A Productive Conversation. It's me, Mike Vardy, and I'm joined this episode by a fellow WDS, that's World Domination Summit, attendee. And again, surprisingly, I don't think we've crossed paths in person before, but it is what it is. The Fun Habit is the book by Mike Rucker. He is a behavioral scientist organizational psychologist and charter member of the International Positive Psychology Association, who's been academically published in the International Journal of Workplace Health Management and Nutrition Research. Uh, His ideas about fun and health have been featured in the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, Vox, Psychology Today, Outside Magazine, Thrive Global, Fast Company, and The Telegraph. And he currently serves as a senior leader at Active Wellness. We talk about his book, The Fun Habit, because two words that I love that are in the title are fun and habit and how the pursuit of wonder and joy uh, or joy and wonder rather can change your life, but they're interchangeable. I love that the message at the top that says find delight, fix unhappy. I hope that this conversation handles both of those things to a degree. And if not, the book certainly will. Here's my conversation and a productive one at that with Mike Rucker. All right, let's have some fun. Mike, thanks for uh, joining me today on the program. Um, you know, it's been a while. Uh, it has we, been a while. We, we crossed paths um, in 2017, right? That's right. Yeah, I believe so. When it was, when we were at World Domination Summit together in Portland. Um, and then we missed each other in 2022 when we were uh, both there for the last uh, World Domination Summit. And I'm excited for a number of reasons to have a chance to chat with you today. First off, the book, The Fun Habit, which you, you, you have successfully merged two of my favorite things to talk about, fun and habits. But also, um, before we hit record, we were talking a little bit about the idea of parenting. And, you know, even at World Domination Summit this year, which was one of many I've been to, and you said you'd been to like three, right? I think you'd been to three, three. yeah. Um, the concept of being a parent and being older, like, you know, the first world domination summit I went to, I was like in my mid thirties. Now I'm, you know, approaching 49. Uh, my kids are older. They're 18 and 12, uh, as of the release of this episode, how old are your kids again, Mike? Uh, they're 10 and seven. My daughter's 10 and my son's seven. And I was telling you, I was watching um, a comedian, Sebastian Menescalco, his latest uh, Netflix special. And he starts talking about being an older parent. His kids are like five and three. And 
father groups and dad groups and stuff like that, like being invited to the dad group. And he's like, this is totally a foreign concept to him. And one of the things that he said, which I totally gravitated towards was <laughs> um, this idea of when he was invited to, he goes, uh, and, and I can't do an imitation of him, but he's got like a thick accent. And he says, look, at 49, I'm just, I'm not willing, I'm not making new friends. I'm actually liquidating. Like I'm, I'm getting rid of, and it's interesting. So, so when we, you talk about this idea of, of fun, uh, one of the questions I want to have out of the gate, and we'll, we'll get into the concept of the, the play, play and savor and acronyms. Cause that's another thing yeah, I, I love. Yeah. I love that stuff is when, when you, when you think about fun, have, has your concept of what is fun has it changed fundamentally, not just like play and all that stuff, but like the way you, the way you kind of approach it over the years, let's say since you went to that first WDS, even to now, which is not that long of a span of time. Yeah, I think, so I think for any of us, you know, kind of entering this domain, you know, people first want to know what is your definition? Because things like, you know, play and fun and joy, everyone you know, well, okay, what does that mean to you? Because obviously most people even self-prescribe to their own definition, right? So mm -hmm. for me, the definition of fun is really anything that's pleasurable, right? In, in geek kind of psychology speak, we call it anything on the positive side of valence. And so obviously as we age, things are going to become fun and not fun, just similar to the anecdote that you shared, friends become, you know, you change, evolve. And, um, but I do think it's important as adults to, kind of question why that is, you know, for instance, like if you really liked working in your workshop and adult life and parenting has made that harder, or have you just kind of given up or is there a way to organize your time, which you can reconnect to that? And I think there's a strong argument, um, especially from recent science to suggest that those things are invigorating if you do them mindfully. And so often slowly but surely, especially when our kids are young, right? And they're just things that need to happen. You know, I, in the book, I call them agonizing activities. Like, it's not like you can live a life devoid of those unless you're, you know, a complete narcissist, right? Um, but, you know, oftentimes we come out of those toddler ages and then we just habituate our routine because it's comfortable and we forget that they're, that joy needs to be a part of life. And so, do things evolve and you start to recreate, you know, what is enjoyable for you, you know, at any sort of duration of time? Absolutely. Right. Because things just change. I mean, I don't need to go to a bar every Thursday night and drink till blackout. That was, you know, um, unfortunately what was enjoyable for me in my late twenties, I would never want to go back there. Right. So I think we evolve and mature, but things that really light us up that we were genuinely connected with, I don't think those things change as much over time, you know, if they were truly genuine connections, but oftentimes we lose sight of them for a host of various reasons, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, my son and I like to play Transformers and he likes to play it a lot more with me than with anyone else. Not just because of the fact that his friends aren't really into it as much. They're more into video games at his age and stuff like that, but because I played with them as a kid. So I'm very awesome. familiar with the lore and all that stuff. Um, I want to talk about the play model that you introduce in your book because um, we talked about, you know, fun and habit being words I love. We talked about acronyms and the model in and of itself is an acronym, but I love the flow of it. You know, it's, it's illustrated in the book. Can we touch on that for people who, because I think, I think structure and framing 
can help us reconnect with that kind of stuff. And it makes it a little bit less onerous to do so, especially when we've maybe lost sight of it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's essentially, well, to get into it really quick, to try to describe it. um, So PLAY stands for pleasing, living, agonizing, and yielding. And essentially, it was a way to create a simple model around a lot of rich science. Mm -hmm. And so essentially, um, play and living are things that we enjoy to do. Uh, Pleasing activities are things that are fairly easy to do. We don't expend a ton of energy. So they're things that we can sprinkle throughout our week that don't really require a lot of effort. Living is just a reminder to do some hard stuff. You know, actually now people are starting to coin it type two fun, which I think is playful. But these things that might not necessarily in the moment feel enjoyable, but we look back at them with, with a lot of delight. And they usually lead to... Um, either a sense of connection, you know, to spirituality, to nature, or to the craft that we love, um, and can lead to, um, you know, a lot of the ability to relish and reminisce those memories, which we know builds uh, um, resilience. And then yielding and agonizing are things that we don't enjoy doing. And so agonizing, we already touched on that, right? Those are things that are hard to do. Um, You know, I know you talked a lot about, you know, the ability to kind of figure out how to conquer some of those, you know, so you can reclaim some of your time. So I don't know that your audience needs a lecture on that. Oh, they, they, you, we all do. It, it never <laughs> goes away. Like, that's the thing you have to, it's habitual. You have to sustain it. Like it's so hard because the, the, those things don't go away and, but people like to go try to get away from them and you can't. Right. So no, it, it's, I mean, I need those reminders. Right. So. No, you're spot on. And I think that's, looking at it deliberately is really the the behavior there that, yeah, we all need to be reminded, you know, because oftentimes we do just habituate our behavior because it's easy, right? Um, it does take a little bit of effort to get ahead of it and go, is there some creative way that I could potentially get out of it? And since, since you kind of queued up parenting, a story that I bring out in the book that, you know, is one of those aha moments was my wife and I, when our kids my son was a toddler and my daughter was a little bit older. For whatever reason, bath time had become excruciating. It was a, a horrible activity for us and for our kids to the point, I, I, you know, looking back at it, I don't know really why, but they fought us tooth and nail. It was always just, you know, really cumbersome experience. So much so that we would wait until the very last second, kind of staring each other you know, through the corner of our eye, seeing which one was going to be the martyr, you know, and, um, so here we are engaging in this activity where four people really are having an agonizing time the way I described it. Right. And, um, so we thought like we had friends that were, you know, better off than us that had nannies that were able to do that chore. And we just weren't in a financial position that we could do it. And the thought of bringing in, you know, quote unquote, a babysitter, just to bathe our kids kind of went against social norms. Right. That's a very intimate act. And so mm-hmm. that idea to, have someone specifically just do that seem problematic until we were like, it's not, it's essentially just a nanny, but you know, more in line with the gig economy than, than, you know, and it's social norms and these hangups that are, are stopping us from doing it. So we did, we hired this amazing person named Caitlin. She was essentially a de facto babysitter. So we, you know, extended the time a little bit more than bathing. And for just a little bit of money, we were able to, uh, eliminate that agonizing activity in our lives and exchange it for date nights, which we hadn't done for ages. And so only six hours out of our 168 hours, you know, within the week, 
we exchanged this agonizing activity and we're able to reclaim something that was really pleasurable for all four of us because the kids loved Caitlin. And then it became this additive thing, right? Because then when it came to bath time for us, you know, the other four nights out of the week, we kind of both, you know, since it was now kind of a variable thing, we enjoyed it more, all four of us. And we also learned tips from Caitlin because she made it fun. She wrapped them up as burritos, you know, and she made it, she, it didn't come from this place of duty. You know, it was more, I get to do this when I have to do it. And we sort of used that frame, you know, like I get to bathe my kids. This is fun now. And it just changed the game. Right. So I think, you know, that's an example of where we got creative. And I think you can do that in any domain, whether that be work or your personal life. You know, before we move on to the why, which is, you know, we'll, we'll get into what there's a novelty that you talked about there, right? Where agonizing can, you, you try to transform it and add some novelty to it, which, you know, is fun. How do you make sure that the not like to me, I, I try to add novelty and I believe humans really crave it because novelty is uncertain and we love that stuff as well. And it creates some excitement and happiness and even, a, a you know, which is a heightened level of, of emotional experience, right? And it feels like a good thing to do with our time. But is the idea of adding novelty consistently, can there be problems with that as well because of a lack of, um, let's say, like, how do you know when to say, okay, you know what, enough novelty, you know, let's stick with this for a while or let's well, stick with this. Yeah, I think anything is going to get old ultimately, right? In science, mm -hmm. we call that the hedonic treadmill. And so, I mean, there's a lot to unpack here, right? Sure. One, I was kind of classifying that as variability because, you yep. know, versus spontaneity. And we're going to get uh, into that too, because there's a, another acronym where we talk about variable and, and a whole bunch yeah, of stuff yeah. there too. Um, so you're exactly right. I think, you know, those things excite us. And when we get into, you know, the Y quadrant, which is yielding, not Y, W, H, Y, but Y that stands for yielding, mm -hmm. um, that variable reward can become problematic, right? I mean, I don't know that we need to go at length because most of us know that, you know, social media has been sort of engineered to capture the ability of a variable reward to keep our attention, yeah. you know, even though it's not necessarily something that, um, you know, it's an active activity. It's really passive. So those things exist. Spontaneity and variability are certainly aspects of living a fun life and they excite us. Um, you and I were talking before the meeting about how Chris had done such a good job, especially in the early WDSs to create those opportunities for variability and spontaneity. And that's why we have an affinity for that particular conference, yep. right? So done well, it's amazing. But again, I think it's a good segue into yielding where those things can become problematic. And you certainly see that um, in bad game design, right? Where, you know, something like Bejeweled that can keep us busy for hours, but doesn't really lead to enrichment, to social media scrolling. Um, and the measuring stick that I often use there, uh, and this comes from the literature uh, with regards to the difference between passive and active leisure, is if in one week time, could you tell your friend why you enjoyed that activity? And nine times out of 10, when you're doing something that's just passive and really meant to pacify time, like flopping down on the couch and not really being mindful about what you watch on TV, just kind of, you know, turning on another rerun of road rules or whatever it is. <laughs> um, versus, because, you know, oftentimes people think I'm trying to villainize, you know, phones or the TV. That's not my angle, right? right. I, I remember watching Lost with my friends as a group 
Um, and I remember every one of those nights, right? It's really more about are these things indexing pleasurable memories in your brain or are they things that when you look back on it, they were just a way to pass time. Managing passwords can be a real headache, right? Think about it. Every website requires a new password. Each one needs to be unique, secure, and somehow memorable. But there's a better way. Welcome to the world of 1Password, where your entire company can generate strong, unique passwords, store them securely, and access them across any device without ever needing a reset. Imagine never having to click Forgot Password again. With 1Password's award-winning design, managing passwords becomes a breeze for you and your entire team. It's trusted by millions, including top companies like IBM and Slack. Here's the best part. My listeners can try 1Password for free for two weeks. Right now, get your free trial at onepasswordcom slash Productive Convo. Secure your passwords and simplify your online security with 1Password. Are you a small business owner struggling to find the right talent for your team? I've been there, and I know how challenging it can be. That's why I recommend LinkedIn Jobs. It's not just any job board. It's a community where you can find professionals who are the perfect fit for your business, many of whom aren't checking other job sites. In fact, 70% of LinkedIn users aren't visiting other leading job sites, making LinkedIn your best bet for finding top talent. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can post your job and reach qualified candidates quickly. 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And now... You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation. That's right, for free. Don't miss out on finding top talent. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation today. Terms and conditions apply. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, it, you know, it's funny. My son, and we'll, we'll, shift, we'll shift gears into um, the idea of the saver system in a minute. But my, my wife and I have this discussion quite a bit. And this is related to productivity and time as well because people will say like, oh, man, these kids, they spend so much time watching YouTube these days and so on and so forth. And they're watching people play video games on Twitch and I don't understand. And, uh, you know, maybe it's because I take a step – I am I have the luxury of more time because of what I do or the way I understand it. But my, my thought around that is, well, but we'll sit down on a Sunday and watch professionals play football for three, four hours. Like that's their version of that now, right? To a degree. And if you start to reframe and maybe that's part of this conversation because fun doesn't, when the definite, how someone defines fun, we talked about it, it evolves, it changes. And I think that's necessary to, because otherwise, like to the idea of novelty, otherwise fun it, it it's no longer fun like there is that that variability that you're talking about right and so may, maybe i'd love to hear your thoughts on judgment when it comes to building a fun habit because when we go to a conference like the world domination summit and we tell people we're going to oh we're going to the world domination summit and we get a side of like what the heck is that all? <laughs> like i couldn't even necessarily explain to my wife what it was that we did there right it's very yeah. challenging but yet it was a lot of fun and that in and of itself, you know, there can be judgment and, and, and that around that. So how does someone escape the trap that can come along with that so that they can really foster fun? Yeah. So there were two things there. So I want to make sure I address both of sure. them, right? One is when children think that they're having fun, 
is there any good excuse to villainize that? And so just to be deliberate, I'm going to walk back from that one because I want to address that you did ask that question, but I don't have a good answer. No, I think there's a host of good information. I think a good measuring stick is still the same because to your point, my kids love watching instructional roadblocks videos. And if I ask them next week what they watch, they'll absolutely tell me. Yep. Um, But then when they get kind of stuck in the TikTok trap and I ask them what they watch, they say no. So again, I think... You know, falling back from wisdom that I pulled from gaming, if they're learning something, then I don't necessarily think that's bad. And I think you're spot on. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, is it something that's enriching for their betterment or something that they're going to look back on? Um, But I do think with children, and this is wisdom that I don't understand intimately, so I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to prescribe anything, is to what degree do you integrate that into their daily lives? Because I do think there could be too much, right? There's right. still lessons that need to be learned. Mm-hmm. With regards to adults, to shift to that, I think, well, one, you need to be more deliberate, right? When If you understand what really brings you up, then if someone passes judgment, you don't need to question that, right? Yeah, and, and that, so, that's, that's challenging earlier in adulthood than later in adulthood. Like, absolutely. You know, wait, and it's interesting because I brought the football example up and I didn't mean to cut you off, but it is, a, no. it is apt is that, you know, if, you know, you can see behind me that I've got a Cincinnati Bengals helmet on my, <laughs> my, my study. I don't watch every, I don't watch football from 10 a.m. Pacific time till 4 p.m. Pacific time. I watch the Bengals play. That's the deliberate, you're talking about being deliberate, right? So for example, For me, it's absolutely fun for me to watch the Cincinnati Bengals play football. It's passive to a degree, but not entirely because I am able to take some elements of football and apply them to the writing that I do. There's some creativity involved. But if I sit there and watch the next game, now I'm, and you can feel, I can feel it. I'm like, I get, and not just internally, but externally, like my wife would be like, is the game still on? I'm like, (laughs) "Uh, yeah, sure it is. Like, you know, and I catch myself. So I think that, that, that is kind of um, related to the kid factor of like, you know, the, the, you know, if they're spending time watching something and learning something and being deliberate about it, that's one thing. Whereas if they're just, you know, passively just absorbing for lack of a better term and not like disconnecting, uh, but adults, like they can't like that for me is a big thing. So like, and I think fun for me speaking of the judgment factor is that you can't always have like, it, it loses the appeal. If I was watching football constantly, it's no longer fun. I don't play fantasy football, for example. Why? Right. Because I know damn well that if I did, I'd be watching football longer. So I understand the variables of I'm not going to play fantasy football because there are more important things for me to do. And it would actually rob me of the fun because I wouldn't be watching the Bengals play. I'd be like, I wonder if Joe Mixon is going to get me enough fantasy points this week versus the actual outcome, Right. But I'll disclose to you, I'm the complete opposite. So I understand the sort of um, what Dr. Someone that's been helpful for me calls the judgment habit. Mm -hmm. And that is that I love fantasy football. I talk about that in the book, but I don't have a team. And so, you know, purists will be uh, like, (laughs) how can you like football this much and not like anybody, you know? And so there's that judgment, right? Like you're not a true football fan because you don't. And for me, because I don't get caught up on that, you know, I really do kind of just plan out my week, set my lineup, and then maybe I'll enjoy a game or two where that really has a big influence on whether or not I'm going to win that week. Yep. That's ha- that's fun. So you and I, this is a really good way to show 
how the same thing is different for both of us in a different way. And that's okay. And I really don't care about the judgment. So I know that's easier said than done because that is a lot of what uh, hangs us up with regards to really connecting to things that we like, right? Whether that's, you know, the social norm of the old Puritan work ethic, whether that's because we do care what other people think and we kind of, you know, need to grow in regards to that maturity. I meant the science behind there is called the, the U-shaped curve of happiness, right? And it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. And the main reason that older adults are more happy and enjoy themselves more is that that judgment luckily subsides as we get older, right? We just don't care. Yeah. Because, um, and it goes, actually, it's a great way to loop back to the comedian that you referenced at the beginning of the episode. I meant, you know, over time, not just the things that we do, but also the people that we enjoy, we get to sort of remove the folks that we don't enjoy, the things that, you know, that we don't enjoy. And then also, you know, the environments that we choose to be in. Like some people, I find it really interesting. And I'm bringing up those three variables because they are important with regards to how you enjoy yourself. Some people like hate doing things, but they become habitual behavior, right? That might be, you know, some sort of thing of obligation. I don't want to villainize church, but, you know, a lot of people kind of you know, wake up in their forties and like, okay, you know, I want to connect to my spirituality in a different way. Cause it's habitual behavior. You know, I'm Catholic. So I can kind of say that, like, I don't, I know I can run that thing through my head. Right. Yep. I don't need Same. Yeah. So, um, you know, those three things, we tend to be more deliberate, but what I'm trying to do sort of, you know, my purpose here is can we awaken that we can live this deliberate life of joy a little bit earlier, like by just paying attention to, what's not really contributing to either our productivity or our well-being or just, you know, sense of living a pleasurable life. And, you know, and if we can get to that sooner, things tend to improve earlier. And that's, and that's, you know, it is like life's cruel joke that by the time we're able to actually like do the things we love to do, we're too old physically to necessarily be able to do them. Not everybody, but some, Um, I want to actually shift into the system that I think, like you said, allows for this to happen to a degree. And we've taught, we touched on it a few times and you go through this in the book, the idea of the saver system. And we're going to talk about, I want you to talk about each of the, the, the aspects of it, but I also want to talk about the word saver in and of itself. Sure. Um, and we'll start there. So the, the book you talk about, like, I mean, happiness is a huge factor. You brought it up a couple of times. Yeah. Um, with, with the idea of happiness and, you know, some of the people I've talked to, some of the books I've read, you know, obviously you can't have happiness without sadness. Like there, I, I, I think of savor and I think this is, you know, when I, when I was going through the book, I think it's where you're going with, with this level of contentment. So it's not like it allows you to not, to me, you get the highs of the happiness and you obviously get the lows, but you get to live somewhere more often in the middle than on either extreme of the spectrum because it's a long way to fall or a long way to climb either way. So I wonder like that term and it's savoring a moment versus savoring a minute, right? So moments are qualitative because you can't say, well, this is a moment and it's exactly one minute, whereas a minute is quantitative. So savor has a qualitative element to it as well. So I'd love to touch on like when you're orchestrating this, this acronym, that idea of savor where did like what was kept in mind? Not just the idea of I'm going to shoehorn this in because it couldn't you you couldn't just do that. No, um, but to be authentic, I think 
you're you're spot on. Um, but I don't want to give it more than it deserves. Mm-hmm. Like it, it is certainly a word familiar, as you mentioned. Um, and I didn't shoehorn it in per se, but when it naturally came together, I felt like it was a good fit, kind of, you know, like a warm glove. Mm-hmm. But where I do want to unpack that you really hit the nail on the head is, you know, especially because I used to live in the quantified self space, you know, I really like Gary Wolf and, and, I, and I still do enjoy, you know, quantifying certain aspects of my life. But where happiness is proven to be problematic, it, it is an act of introspection and evaluation. And so you're spot on that where living a joyful life really exists in a, in a fun way, you know, not to too many puns in there, but is that when we're just doing the thing, when we get out of our own way. And so what, you know, this work comes from Dr. Iris Miles out of Cal, but it's been replicated by others, is that it's clear when we spend too much time identifying the gap between where we are and where we want to be. So that's not necessarily problematic episodically, but when we're stuck there, especially if we're trying to chase happiness or will our way out of, you know, a negative emotion that is probably an appropriate response for that time. But for whatever reason, we're overvaluing happiness, really bad things start to happen, you know, to the point that there's a high correlation with, you know, unfortunately mental illness with people that get stuck in that mode. Right. But luckily there's a really easy way to circumvent it. And that is just being a little bit more mindful about what is going to, you know, bring in joy and delight. Even if, you know, in that moment, you don't necessarily want to identify as a happy person, you know, maybe because you're going through a divorce or, you know, like I share in the book, you know, I was mourning the loss of my brother. And so, trying to be happy wasn't an appropriate response. And my biology, you know, was kind of trying to tell me that and I wasn't listening. Yeah. Let's, let's unpack savor. Let's unpack what each of those elements mean, because, um, and being a Canadian, you're missing a letter, but I'll let it go. (laughs) 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 Maybe the behavior is all right. Right. But anyway, (laughs) let's unpack it a little bit. So can you kind of share And I know we, we want people obviously pick up the book, but I think there's some helpful framing here that people would probably be able to benefit. The listener right now would be able to benefit from. Yeah, I can rip through it. I mean, we talked about S, you know, in a lot of different contexts. S stands for story editing, which is a fancy way of saying reframing. So a lot of us are sort of caught up in this sense of duty of being adults. And when we peel it back, um, kind of making sure that you are incorporating joy because that's an important part of life. And just, you know, that simple act of saying like, I need to live a joyful life is you know, Gary Ware, our, our mutual friend, calls mm-hmm. it permission to play, right? It's yep. an important first step. Activity bundling is a way that if you kind of want to tiptoe into it, is is a great opportunity. So that's like, if you're doing a task that you don't really enjoy, are there ways to add elements that would make it more joyful? You know, James Clear talks about habit bundling, which has, you know, gotten a lot, you know, a lot of people are familiar with. That's simply just, you know, perhaps a chore that you don't find fun, adding music or a podcast, like, Mike Vardy podcast, uh, that makes that experience more enjoyable. So you're actually looking forward to it. And, you know, to some degree, you can forget about the thing that wasn't that fun. Or, you know, I advocate for pro-social behavior, even for introverts, because we know doing fun things with other people are more fun. So, you know, use perhaps leaning on your fun friends. You know, we talked about that, that the movie that you went to. Yeah, The Room. Uh, want, we'll yeah, link to that exactly. in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> No, but that was a great yep. example of you 
um, kind of amplifying your fun by inviting, you know, really joyful people along for the ride. And now that's a much richer memory, right? Because you got to share that experience with others. Variable hedonics, we also talked about that is the fact that fun is, uh, or sorry, that variability is an interesting component of fun and trying to find ways and to integrate that into your life will likely lead to interesting adventures and spontaneity tends to be um, fun in its own right, where you get these really rich experiences that, you know, weren't supposed to happen, but did. Those tend to be memories that we encode with a lot of detail and look back at fondly. Uh, O is options. And so this is something that I kind of appropriated from coaching, but we just make better choices when we have more options. And a lot of people think about options with regards to things that are dutiful, but um, don't, is that a word? But that that they have to do, Um, but don't necessarily think about it in their own joys. It's like simple exercises of just premeditating what would be fun. So you have it at the ready when you do have spare time or something that simply reconnects you like you know what i haven't done this in a long time like maybe you know maybe it's reading right so i'm you know and so joining a book club would automatically by proxy integrate that back into your life so just figuring out how to create more options so that you do have opportunities for more joy and then r stands for reminiscing which is an act of savoring so after you've done all this cool stuff how can you create a practice that allows you to amplify funds power and then also kind of allow you to identify what it is that you like and maybe as importantly don't like so that you can kind of continue this upward spiral. You know, as you bring up the the last portion of re- reminiscing, other than the Little River Band song, I think <laughs> about um, journaling as a practice. And it's such, it, it, you know, I get frustrated because, and I've been, I, I actually alluded to this in a workshop I did where people don't, we, we, we live in a world that's all about forward progress and not so much about reflection. And we hear that too. Like, oh, don't look back, look forward. Like that, that, that is being professed. And we, yet we, we mentioned social media. That's a form of journaling. You're just journaling for the world. Absolutely. Like I will throw arguments out there left, right, and center. But I wonder if, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is that if by injecting more fun and the fun habit into your life, if it would make the process of journaling that much more appealing because I feel that a lot of people don't journal and this is based solely on anecdotal evidence of dealing with, you know, clients that I've worked with and people I've talked to that they don't have time, they don't see the value or, but ultimately it's rooted in fear. Like they'll see things that they don't necessarily want to see patterns that are repeating that they're, um, that they don't see the inherent value. So I wonder if, if, the injecting more fun will, will kind of create a better environment for that kind of practice to take hold. So I'm going to dance around my answer. Sure. Um, well, I'll answer directly. Sure. First, I think where journaling has become problematic is having these absolute prescriptions. It's clear that a lot of people um, are prescribed a daily practice. It's just hard to keep up. Yeah. Right? And so what I advocate for in the book is figuring out what, works for you. Is that a bulleted list? You know, as long as there's enough detail that you can look back and get recall, because I mean, I, ha- I have used too much brevity and then I'll go back and go, oh my goodness, I, what was I talking about? <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, some people that love to write absolutely go for it because that's another way to have fun, right? Mm-hmm. But others that don't, like figure out what is the cadence that works for you and then 
you know, incorporated in, in, in a way that feels natural, right? And not foreign. I think that's where we've gone off the rails. You cite Sonia Lubomirsky's work, you know, with regards to gratitude journaling. And if you do that at too high a frequency, that can actually be as problematic as chasing happiness, right? Yeah. So that's the direct answer. Um, the other is that what we now know, and I, I, you know, I geek out on the neuroscience here, is that we're not cause and effect machines like we once thought, we're predictive engines. Right. And so optimism truly has a lot of value. Like this isn't just hearsay, right? It's now been empirically validated. And so the more you integrate fun and joy into your life, you now predict the outcomes of the things that you're doing after these activities in a, in a more positive light. And that just always tends to lift you up instead of dragging you down like the way the world is sort of architected right now to do to us, right? Whether it's the news, whether it's doom scrolling. You know, we have this proclivity, which allegedly has an evolutionary bias because we needed to know the things that would harm us, right? right. In ca caveman days. But that's just not true anymore. There's as much good as there is bad. And if you bias your life towards the good, just naturally you start to look at the world as more good. That doesn't mean the bad goes away, right? It's not good vibes only. I'm not prescribing toxic positivity here, but I am suggesting that the world is 50 50 and you can live your life pulling to the positive side rather than the negative side and having a fun habit is a good way to do that. You know, as you talked about this, we alluded to the idea of, you know, ultimate happiness, ultimate sadness. Like there's no, I, I you know, as anyone who listens to the show regularly or follows my work, they know I'm a comic book geek. Like they know it. And we, you know, um, I was watching, uh, this actually is quite, quite funny. I was watching, um, you know, just before recording this a couple nights ago, Black Adam. I actually bought the movie. You know, the one that everyone's like, oh, it sucked, it bombed, blah, 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 blah. Critics hated it. I'm like, you know, I enjoyed it. And, I'm, and I am biased because I really like Dr. Fate and was looking forward to seeing him on screen. And Pierce Brosnan, I thought, was the perfect selection. And he said something that I think we don't take into account nearly as much because it's not easy slash sexy slash simple, all that, is he says, when you see the amount of futures that I've seen, you start to recognize that there's no such thing as absolutes. Yeah, and, perfect. And and I, you know, f you alluded to that when we talked about the football analogy, is the idea like I will watch the Bengals play, and that's all I'll watch. And I get, and I will get blowback. I got blowback for years, by the way, watching the Bengals, because they're like, they suck. Why are you watching them? They're never going to win. Today. But the reward that I got last year when they made it to the Super Bowl was unbelievable. It was validating. It was, it was, it was the most fun I've had. And it was because I kept at it for so long, not because it was like, I'm going to do this, but it was just like, this is something I enjoy. I wasn't searching for the payoff. Like, that's the other thing. I wasn't trying to win the fun game or win in this case, the fun habit. Conversely, <laughs> you are playing fantasy football with no attachment to a team, which the first natural question most people would probably ask is, well, which, which, who's your team? What's your team? Like, who do you follow? And you're like, I don't follow any team. You'll get a bit of a side eye. So it, there are lots of things that are competing against us from building any sort of habit, let alone the fun habit. So my question is, how does someone try to like a simple simple thing they can try starting today beyond picking up the book and going through it that they can do to try to weather that storm, so to speak. With regards to the judgment habit? With, with regards to just recognizing that by starting to build the fun habit, they're going to put themselves in a, in a, in a much better state to be able to access it. And also, I mean, 
bypass some of the pitfalls or obstacles that are going to be in the way? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the first entry points is you don't necessarily have to do a full time audit, although I generally suggest that because it's not hard. You know, you and I both probably heard Laura Vanderkam speak because she's been on the show before. We'll link to it in the show notes. Yeah. So I meant um, her and and a host of other people have talked about how easy it is to kind of, you know, 168 hours isn't a lot. Right. And generally, if you're honest, you can identify things that you just don't need to be doing and you don't necessarily need to tell anybody that you're going to stop doing them. Right. Especially if you kind of feel social pressure, like, you know, an example to address your question specifically would be relationships of convenience, right? Usually you can kind of just moonwalk out of those, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, or it's a yielding activity, right? Some sort of passive leisure where, you know, maybe you're just doing it because it feels comfortable, but when through the critical eye, you realize it's not bringing you anything. Um, And then if it is something that sort of, you know, socially makes you feel uncomfortable, just operate in a playful space and try and incorporate one or two hours a week and see what that feels. And I have yet to have anyone experienced, or excuse me, experiment, experiment, what's wrong with me? Experiment in that capacity and regret it because ultimately those things are always uplifting, right? So the only like word of caution I would is if it's something like dance lessons or where you're you're trying to reconnect to an old hobby, give it two or three weeks. Cause Mm. sometimes to your point that you know, initial change does feel heavy. Like, oh man, you know, I'm, you know, I used to be so good and now I'm not, but generally you can shake that off in two to three weeks and especially be mindful about how much vitality it brings back to your life. Because another common resistance is like, I just don't have time for that or I'm too exhausted. And so for the folks that come, you know, off of their work life and kind of plop down on the couch without any sort of vigor or vitality, try to incorporate some sort of transition ritual where you're stopping work and you're giving, you're taking a little bit of life off the table for yourself and see how you show up to work the next day. And just illuminating, you know, that feeling is generally enough to pull people, you know, into better habits. At least that's my experience. Mike, this has been a great conversation. We, we scratched the surface of the book, but that's because we want people to pick up the book. It's called The Fun Habit, How the Disciplined Pursuit of Joy and Wonder Can Change Your Life. I love the, the little tape. It's Find Delight, Fix Unhappy that's at the top, too. I think it's... Uh, where can people pick up the book and keep up with you and the work that you're doing? Oh, thanks so much for that opportunity. Uh, the book is available now anywhere you enjoy purchasing books. And if you want to learn more about the science of fun or me... Um, my website is michaelrucker.com. Thanks again for having a productive conversation with me. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. This was a pleasure. Big thanks to Mike for joining me on the program this time around. Again, really excited to finally had a chance to connect with him, even though we've crossed paths at WDS uh, at least once, if not more times. Again, you can go to productivityist.com slash podcast 470 for all the links to everything that we talked about. Uh, and also, uh, you can also find those, of course, in the app that you're using right now to listen to this podcast, which also is the thing that will allow you to subscribe to the podcast. So that way you can go through the 470 episodes and counting of shows 
really quickly and easily go through the archives as well as make sure you don't miss an episode of what's to come so make sure you hit that subscribe button there's no notification bell i'm not a youtuber right now but what i am going to do is talk about the other way you can support the show which is of course checking out our sponsors go to productivities.com slash podcast sponsors and you'll see some of the ones that you heard on this episode in fact all of them and of course when you check those sponsors out you do that and they'll know that we sent you and then that helps keep the lights on or the speakers going or whatever the equivalent of that is in the podcasting world. See, I'm having fun with this one. Uh, (laughs) That's it for this episode. Thanks so much for taking the time to join me. I'm Mike Vardy, the host of A Productive Conversation. And until next time, I don't want you to forget, stop doing productive and start being productive. See you later.